Woo! That is, that's awesome. Okay. Hey guys, my name is Tony. If I have not met you yet, I'm on staff here with the Soul Company. I graduated from the U of M two years ago. I loved it. My favorite part was being a part of Soul Company. Uh, on the drive in, I saw a guy wearing an open parka with like short shorts, and I was like, this is my campus. Like, I love this place. Uh, only Minnesotans do that crap. So, excited for you guys to be here. Uh, specifically, before we jump into the text tonight, I want to say welcome here. If this is your first time in a space like this, or, or you don't normally find yourself here at Soul Company on, on Thursday nights, I just want to say specific welcome to you. That whoever invited you, invited you because they love you and they love Jesus and they want you to be a part of that family. And I'm excited that you're here. So tonight, we are going to be continuing our Back to Basics series and specifically on the topic of prayer. And so if you guys have your Bibles with you, I want you to take them out. If you've got a phone with you, paper, phone, whichever one you want, I want you to flip to the end-ish of your Bible to the book of Philippians. And that's where we're going to be, Philippians chapter 4. So let me pray, actually, as we enter into the message. Father, it's such a joy to be able to worship you, that in your house there's no more shame, there's no more guilt, there's no more pain. But tonight, Lord, we get to be a part of your family. Jesus, as, as I pray, I pray that you would do amazing things here tonight. And not because of the production value or because of the speaking or because of the worship or anything like that, but because you are good, you are powerful, you are gracious, and you are kind to your kids. Father, I pray that you would do a work tonight that only you can do. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you guys were here last week, you would know that Jordan had kind of an amazing intro where he had kind of a travel flex. He talked about his travels to Turkey, and it was incredible. Uh, which would be really hard to follow up unless, unless you went to Israel a couple years ago for free. So if you're interested in going to Israel for free, you let me know after service and we'll talk. But I was in Israel, and guys, I had hummus, like, all the time. It was incredible. Like, I don't know if you guys have had, like, real authentic hummus, but it made, like, the store-bought stuff that looks way too smooth to be comfortable, like, horrible in comparison. It was so good. I had hummus all the time. Israel was great. Uh, but specifically the city of Jerusalem. And, and the city of Jerusalem has had a disproportionate impact on human history. If, if you guys don't know about the city of Jerusalem, for thousands of years, it has been a sacred space for a ton of different people. And as I was there, I was realizing that, man, three major world religions collide here in Jerusalem. Islam, Christianity, and Judaism all have sacred places in that place. And as I was there, kind of traveling, looking at all the sites, kind of experiencing all that Jerusalem had to offer, I realized that there are people from all over that world that came to that city to pray. And I began to ponder prayer a little bit because, guys, if I can be honest, I don't know if this is, I feel shameful even just to say it, but this was my reality is up until that point, the only times I ever really prayed, practically speaking, was either before a meal or when I needed something. So God in my prayer life was either like my waiter or my genie, but it was never this thing where I thought I could actually talk to God. And so even before we get into the text, that's my definition of prayer for you guys, is talking to God. But after I came back from Israel and as I was prepping this message, I started to research a little bit on prayer and its impact in human history, and specifically in America. And I, and I found this that I thought was pretty compelling. Gallup did a poll and they found that 9 out of 10 Americans claim they pray on a regular basis. 3 out of 4 every single day. 
So my question for us tonight is not if you pray. Statistically speaking, you likely do, but it's why you pray. And I think if we would kind of take away some of the facade of prayer and you would kind of get past some of the religious answers that you would give me, I think most of us pray because we either grew up in a house where our parents prayed before meals or, or we, we want to pray or we want to pray better because we're around all these different people and it sounds like they have these really spiritual prayers and so we want to have a prayer life so that we can kind of compete a little bit. Or, or maybe if you're here and you don't actually follow, follow Jesus, maybe prayer is some type of communication with the universe where you're like trying to bid your goodness or, or bid your life and your future into the universe to receive something back. But that's not why we pray. And, and as Christians, the reason why we pray is so that we can collide with God, to actually learn the cadence and character of Jesus. And so tonight, we're going to go two places. One is why we pray, and two is who we pray to. So let's turn to Philippians 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We pray because we're needy. Okay, so let's, we're just going to spend a lot of time on these two verses, all right? Last time I preached, it was like 48 verses, and I lost my mind. So we're going two this time, and I'm excited about it. And specifically verse 6, let's go there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Guys, I, I love this verse because I think it shows a little bit of the humanity of Paul. Like I feel like when I first started coming to church and they would talk about this guy Paul a lot, who was an apostle, it would always be stories of like no fear, always running into the battle, doing crazy things, getting whipped all the time, but like getting right back up to preach. It was like this crazy guy apparently, in my mind he had no fear, but he's commanding us to not be anxious because Paul was also a human being that was anxious. He had a lot going on in his life that would cause him to be anxious. And so here's my, here's my intro theme to this message. If you're going to take anything from this message, my hope is that you would take this. And it's a one-liner that's simple, and it's pray what you've got. I think in this verse, Paul is kind of describing a little bit that we pray everything we have as Christians. We, we talk to God about everything in our lives as Christians. We don't leave anything out. Okay, so I was thinking about this. I was like, all right, what are moments that I've needed prayer in? Uh, First of all, have you guys stubbed your toe recently? Wild, man. I was like, it hurts so bad. I stubbed my toe on a piece of ice in the ground the other day, and I legit thought I was going to pass out. I was like, that's crazy. Stubbing your toe, that's painful. You need prayer for pain. Uh, two, frustration. I, I lost my car once at the MOA. If you guys know, they have two sides of the ramps, and they're all like labeled the same. I lost my car, I swear, I lost my mind for like three hours running up and down the ramps, and I, I thought someone stole my car, but I was so confused, I had my keys. So frustration, um, loneliness, maybe, I don't know. Hey, I'm not that far out of the game. I'm engaged now, which is great, and I'm pumped about that. Thank you very much, she's great. Uh, but I remember being in college, specifically part of Salt Company, and you know the thing where you like kind of come to Salt Company hoping someone's here? Hey. I was there, okay? Uh, so maybe that. But Paul, I think, wow. All right, Aaron, we good? Okay. But 
What I mean by that is we pray for things like pain, frustration, and loneliness. And those are really small examples, but, but my argument to you would be I think Paul was a prayerful person that, that prayed in the little things and the big things. So the little pains like stubbing your toe and, and getting whipped on the other side of that, the little frustrations of losing a car. Well, he didn't have a car. That was 2,000 years ago. So losing his horse, whatever. Or bigger frustrations or loneliness. I think Paul, in this moment as he's writing the book of Philippians, is sitting in a jail cell by himself. He would have experienced all of these things and he would have prayed all these things. And so I think what Paul is saying here is don't just pray the little things or the big things, but everything in between and specifically the real things that are going on in your life. Whatever's on your mind tonight, whatever's been plaguing you, whatever's been taking up real estate in your heart, pray what you've got. And if you've ever read the Psalms, you'll see a pretty polarized perspective on talking to God. And what I mean by that is, uh, I don't know if you guys know who David is. We actually did a Psalm last week, if you're here, for the Bible. But, but all throughout the Psalms, David has this, uh, I don't want to say this, not wishy-washy, but pretty polarized perspective as he writes his Psalms. And so here's a, here's a verse from a Psalm. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. Another verse from a different Psalm. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Okay. He will never forsake me and do not forsake me are back-to-back psalms. And so I think as we read through the biblical narrative of talking to God, we don't see pretty prayers. We see real and authentic prayers. And for a lot of you guys, you might have grown up in a strict legalistic culture where you were taught specific prayers to say, And so you've grown up your entire life praying the right prayers, but not the real ones. And then here's my encouragement for you, is what if, okay, what if the God of the universe that does, yes, control all things, that is glorious and magnified and beautiful, actually wants to have a conversation with you and doesn't want to hear the pretty prayers that you've seen or heard from other people, but actually wants to have a conversation with you? The little things the big things and everything in between, pray what you've got. And in verse 6, Paul is, is, is comparing anxiety with prayer. And I think the reason why many of us haven't found relief in prayer is because we don't actually pray what we've got. Like, like sometimes we read the Bible and we see verses like this and we're like, yeah, easy for you to say, Paul. You are an apostle of Jesus. And I feel like that was my response when I first came to the American church. I, I started going to this 16,000-person church, which is really big, and uh, the pastors were either wearing, like, really nice suits or, guys, no lie, looked like GQ models. I was like, these guys have such good fashion. They were wearing, like, ripped jeans. It was crazy. It was wild. I thought it was awesome. Um, but, but honestly, I think a lot of us come into church, and our experience is I'm broken, but no one else is. I've got stuff going on in my life, but everyone else seems to be smiling it seems like the pastors are telling me how to live, but, but they don't really go through the same things I go through. Or, or maybe for you, you come from a different socioeconomic background than a lot of people in churches. And so you say to yourself, there's this caricature of the person that I want to be or, or that I wish I was that, that is in these churches, but I'm not represented. Whatever that looks like for you, I don't know. But I think what that causes us to do is shelter down. So we have cleaned up Christianity and that that ends up getting into our cleaned up prayers. 
And we pretend like God doesn't actually see all of our thoughts, and so we try to project on him the good thoughts that we have or the right thoughts that we have instead of actually being real and honest with God. But here's what's true. is cleaned up Christianity just doesn't exist. It's fake. And, and Paul was a tent maker by trade and was a pastor as well, but he was honest about his weaknesses and his vulnerabilities. And I think sometimes we lose the meaning of the word of God because we strip people of their humanity. And guys, I, I know when the word anxiety is used, it can be like a uniquely painful word to hear. And so throughout this message, I'm going to be using the word anxiety, but also worry. They're pretty similar translations. But I want to speak to you really quickly because I think a lot of us in this room struggle with anxiety. And it's likely the biggest battle you face every day of your life. And my hope for you is that over time, you would be healed. But also, I just want to say to you that, like, Jesus knows that's going on in your mind. He's not confused about the thoughts that you have or the fears that you have or the panic attacks that you have. He knows. And I think his desire for you is to learn the cadence of his faithfulness to you. And it might not be an overnight fix, but I, I really do believe that knowing Jesus day by day, seeing him come through for you time and time and time again, when it feels like you can't get out of bed or you can't get to your class or you can't take one more test, whatever that is, I really do believe that a lifetime with him, a lifetime with him will, will rearrange your neural pathways and you'll begin to see the cadence of God. And he's not bummed out by you. He's not disappointed with you. He's proud of you. And he lifts the burdens off your shoulders. And my prayer for you tonight, that in the moments that feel overwhelming, he would be the calm waters that softens your soul. And guys, I think everyone here has, has walked in here with worries and burdens on your shoulders. Maybe it's like another online test coming up. Guys, I don't know how you are doing classes on Zoom. I barely went to classes in person. You guys are amazing. Like, you guys are actual students. I'm so proud of you. Maybe it's that. Or, or it's friends that have been passive-aggressive to you. Or, or it's someone in your life that's actually walking away from your faith. I, I actually don't know what you've come in here with tonight. Or I think for a lot of us, and, I, and I've talked to you guys, and I'm feeling this in my own heart, there's just a lot of questions in life right now that you might be asking that you don't know the answers to. Questions like, why don't my parents know Jesus? Why was I born this way? Why does my skin have more melanin than other people, and why does that impact the life that I live in this country? Because I think for a lot of us, this last year has been a year of unanswered questions. Yet Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. So Paul, in the moment of writing this letter, is sitting in a cell. Okay? If you guys have ever read Philippians, you know in Philippians 1, there's this amazing line where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I think the first time I read it, I was like, man, this is probably Paul. I just picture things when I read the Bible. You guys should really do it. I pictured him on like this huge horse, like a big stallion riding into this city with all his boys, and they're going to preach the gospel and get killed. 
potentially. But the actual setting of Philippians 1 is he is in a cell alone. His friend Euphroditus, I believe, has brought him resources, but even him, he got so sick he almost died. So he's sitting there by himself thinking, I might die. That's the setting in which Paul writes this about things to be anxious for. So I think we find Paul in this moment, we catch Paul in this moment of need. And he's needy, and so are we. I was, I was born in Korea. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, it was awesome for a couple of reasons. One, we had like GMO-sized whipping willow trees. Like I've never seen it anywhere else. They're incredible trees. Two, I was a blader. It was great. You could roll a blade year-round. Here you get like two months, and that's like it. Um, three, guys, it snowed like once a century in Nashville, Tennessee. And when it did, the whole like state shut down forever. It was amazing. Like we didn't have school for like four days once for like one snowflake. And then I come here and my trust is destroyed forever because I was like, mom, you told me there's like a blizzard and she's like, you're still going to school. It was horrible. But when I was five, my grandparents from Korea flew to the United States. And I remember this moment fondly. We, my grandfather and I, we would go on like these crazy adventures, aka just like hikes around Nashville, Tennessee. And we'd go, and we'd like go over like these hills, and it'd be so fun, and we'd spend a full day outside, and we would kind of travel the area together, and it was awesome. And I remember we, I was five years old, so everything's like way bigger in proportion when you're five, and I was vertically challenged, so everything seemed huge. And I remember getting to this body of water, okay? In my mind, it was like the biggest river of all time. I was like, there's no way we could ever get across this. And I like dipped my foot in, and I was like, it's too deep. My legs were only like two feet long total at that point, right? So I, I remember just feeling super scared. I was five years old. Give me a break. I was five years old. I remember being super scared and running back to my grandfather. I might have had a tear in my eye. I don't remember. But, but running back to my grandfather and saying, Haraboji, mur no mamani seo, which means, grandfather, there's way too much water. We'll never get across. Super dramatic. And I remember being so scared as a five-year-old kid. There, there's, I just couldn't see a way past the water, right? But, but the moment I hit my grandfather's arms, I knew we were going to be okay. And it wasn't because he had told me, hey, we're going to do this to get across. I'm going to lay boulders for you to get across. It wasn't because he was like, well, we'll find a way back because I knew him. It was because I knew him and I could trust him. And this is the life of a Christian. Okay, you're not five. You're 18 to 22, very likely. But there are always going to be things that you rub up on life that you, you come up to and you look at the water and you say, there's no way I could get across. And, and the promise of the gospel is that you don't have to, that your father will pick you up and he'll take you across and he'll make a way. And so you don't have to be anxious about anything. And so here's how we pray. So we pray because we're needy, but here's how we pray. Let's look back to verse 6. Supplication with thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known to God. And here's what supplication means, okay? The definition is the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Okay, so that's the posture of prayer. The action of prayer is prayer. The posture of prayer is pleading. We beg God to come through. And if you know you're needy, you're going to be pleading with the one who can take care of all things, and you're going to be thanking him because he's always come through for you. 
The way to fight fear of your future is knowing that God has come through for you in your past time and time again. That one of the deepest character traits of God that we know of in the Bible is his faithfulness to you. And listen, I don't have to know you to know that. If you are in Christ, then God has never let you down and he will never let you down no matter how scary the present circumstances look like. At the end of your life, God willing, you get to heaven one day. You're going to open up the book that is your life. And every circumstance you thought would be treacherous to your life, God would have written faithful over and over and over again. And you'll see a lifetime of God's faithfulness to you, and I really believe that. And here's why. It's because if you are in Christ, the biggest act of faithfulness he ever could have done for you is to actually save you, which means he's willing to go the mile for you. We pray because we need he, but we pray to the one who knows. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In the NLT, the verse reads, then the peace of God. That as you pray and you pray all that you've got, everything you're going to, the little things like the stub of your toe and the big things, everything in between, you will experience peace. So here's the deal with the, the peace, okay? So the outcome of peace here, Paul is not saying that peace is some type of psychological phenomenon that you're going to experience when you pray. It's not like you pray or meditate for 10 minutes and suddenly all your problems just drift off into ambiguity. That is not what Paul is promising you here, but it is a mystery. When a doctoral student asked Einstein, what is there left in the world for original dissertation research? Basically, that means to get a PhD, you have to write a dissertation. Einstein responded, find out about prayer. Someone must find out about prayer. So here's the supernatural reality of prayer, okay? So prayer, the peace that comes from prayer does not rely on the person praying, what you're praying about, how you pray. It doesn't matter if you have the most spiritual sounding prayers ever, okay? I don't care if you're going to quote like 15 Bible verses in one prayer. That is not the reason why you'll receive peace of the prayers that you give. But it's the one who actually hears your prayers. He's the one who will give you peace in your prayers because the end goal of prayer is not to get what you want. It's to get God. Paul does not say in this verse to give your request to God and in return he'll solve all your problems or alter your circumstances, but he says the peace of God will God guard you. And the peace of God is only possible through the person of God. I have a quote from Keller. It is remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. Which initially I was like, come on, Paul. That just feels like help a brother out. You know what I mean? Like I, I was just like, okay, that's weird. But, but here's why I believe that's true. It's because Paul's desire for his friends isn't that they would get their prayers answered, but it, that they would know God in their suffering. And he cares about them too much for them to treat God like a genie in their prayers. So the goal of prayer is not to have your desires delivered to you, but to know, the, to know the one who delivers you from your desires, from your brokenness and your anxiety. That's why Paul can speak with power throughout all of Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To count all else as rubbish, to know Christ Jesus, his Lord. 
Because his hope is not in his circumstances changing or God giving him the things that he wants, but it's actually to know God. And guys, this, this matters for you and this matters for me because here's what I know about you. You don't have to live life long enough to know there are questions that you do not have the answers to. See, Christianity is not this fake it till you make it religion. It's not, let me just pretend all my problems don't exist or all the brokenness in this world I don't see or all the pain in this world I'm not seeing. It's not, let me just pretend like there's nothing wrong with the world. Because I know that there are things in your life that have happened to you that maybe you've never even told anyone or you've never actually processed with someone but has deeply shaped the person you've become. I think for a lot of us, there's sin that's so deeply embedded in us. And sin is just living in a way that, that doesn't go with the way of Jesus, that doesn't go with the way of God, that we did something or something was done to us that was so deeply embedded in who we were that we know we cannot fix it on our own, so we live with shame. And that could have been when you were five, that could have been when you were 15, that could have been last week, but we live with shame. And we walk into a room like this and we think to ourselves, there's no way that a holy and beautiful God would actually want to talk to me. There's wounding that you can't self-diagnose or self-administer surgery for. There are problems too big for you to be able to fix. So you live crippled. But our hope in this circumstance is our God is not some dictator from a perch. He's with you in the trenches. He knows you. And he knows all the same questions that you have. He knows the things about this world that don't make sense to you. He knows every thought in your mind, every question you've ever had for him. He knows you. And guys, like many of you, I began to ask really difficult questions that I didn't know the answer to last summer. As COVID began to hit, my parents lost their jobs, my sisters lost their jobs, and I just began to feel the weight of anxiety coming upon me. And I started processing why something like a global pandemic would disproportionately impact people who are in poverty or from poverty, and I started to slip. And I just started to lose faith. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think, like, the, the cliche Christian answers just didn't work for me anymore. The verses that you normally see on bumper stickers just didn't work for me anymore. And you will come to a point in your life where it's not a pat on your back and a cliche verse won't fix the problem in front of you. And I just started to feel shame. I would ask myself questions like, Tone, but you're a Christian. You can get through this. Don't you know the truth? You can get through this. But I think when you're in the valley, it's just so hard to see anything outside of it. And so I started to feel despair. And then as Floyd died, and at the height of racial injustice in our nation, I just began to hear my brothers and sisters of color cry out. And I was just like, crying with them. 
And as they wept, I wept. And I wanted to offer up a voice of hope, but I had nothing to give them. And there was a stretch this summer where, honestly, guys, like, I didn't have the strength to open up the word of God and talk to him that way. So I just started to walk. And I would just prayer walk for, I started a couple minutes around my house, and then slowly over time it became hours, and it would go around lakes and all around. But I just started to walk and pray and just talk to God. And they weren't pretty prayers. You guys would have been pretty disappointed by my prayers. And they weren't the things that I would ever post or things that I would write about, but they were just raw and honest prayers. And I would just ask God, what's going, what are you doing in me right now? And I would shout prayers and I would cry prayers and I would whisper prayers because all that I had, all that I knew is I needed Jesus, but I just couldn't see him. But as I encountered God, he showed me he knew. He too saw how broken the world was, how COVID had been disproportionately impacting people like my family. But not only did he know, he understood. And listen, this isn't scripted. I'm not going to read off something for you right now. But it's like I could see Jesus clearly. Where for maybe for the first time in a long time, I could just see that he was born into poverty. That he knew that. That he would clothe with brown skin. He knew that. That he was rejected by the people he loved and he felt so alone. He knew that. He was the ultimate minority that died outside of the camp. And as I began to encounter God through prayer, as I began to talk to God and pray all that I had, it's like I could see him rightly. It's like I could feel him pulsing in my heart. And I couldn't put words to it, and it wouldn't have been that poetic at the time. But as I prayed to God, it's like I could just know that he was with me, that no one else could understand, but Jesus could, and he did. When I prayed what I had, he showed me that he understood every part of my condition, every part of my humanity, every part of my sinful nature, but he didn't sin. He knew all of my weaknesses, all of the doubts that I had, but he was perfect, and he was beautiful. When I prayed what I had, it's like the peace of God, which surpassed all understanding, came upon me. The person of God, Jesus, understood when no one else could. See, the reason why God's peace can surpass all understanding is because the peace you will receive from God isn't because you know the future or now understand all the answers to the questions that you have, but because you learn to trust in the cadence of faithfulness of the one who knows the answers to all the questions you have. You begin to know Jesus, and it becomes, it stops being this superficial relationship of a genie or a waiter, and you begin to know the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus on the cross. And you start to realize that no one else might understand what you're going through, but he does. 
and he still loves you. And there's no shame and no guilt as you walk in here tonight because he knows all that you are. So pray all that you have. And I want to end with this tonight. What if you actually talked to God and prayed all that you had tonight? Everything that you've walked into soul company with, all of your fear, all of your anxiety, all of your sadness, all of your hopes and your dreams and the joys and the things that you're asking God for, what, would it, what if you prayed everything that was on your heart tonight? I think this would happen. Keller says, a triune God would call us to converse with him because he wants to share the joy that he has. Prayer is our way of entering into the happiness of God himself. What if the pathway to joy was entering into God's presence, knowing his peace, knowing his love for you, not on a superficial, superficial intellectual level, but you could feel it in your bones? I think we could do what Paul asks us to do or commands us to do in Philippians 4.4 and rejoice always. As I call the worship band back up, I think there's something we need to hear, which is this. Tonight might be the night that he's calling you back. That maybe this year was a year of questioning God's goodness, doubting your faith, being unsure if God's real or if, if Jesus is real, then why is this happening? Or, and you've bottled it all up and you haven't even wanted to talk to God about it. What, what have you been feeling and, and processing that you actually haven't talked to God about? He knows, but what if he wants to talk to you about it? He's faithful. And we're going to enter into a time of prayer here pretty soon. But for some of you guys, you've never had a conversation with God before. That you've only ever prayed the right prayers to pray, but not the real ones. And so you actually haven't entered into a conversation with God before. And maybe tonight, this is the night that you begin to talk to God about everything that's on your heart, about all that you have. Maybe tonight is the time that you begin a conversation with God. It won't be the last one you have with him, but it might be the first. So talk to Jesus tonight. Tell him all that you've got. And I think for a lot of us here, this is just a calling back to Jesus. Maybe you came to faith last year or, or this year or the year before, whatever that looks like. I don't know when you began a relationship with Jesus, but maybe you felt distant from him because you felt shame or guilt because of your sin. So you've stiffed arm God and you've only tried to give him the pretty prayers. Maybe tonight is the time that you talk to God with the real prayers the honest and real stuff that is going on in your heart. Tonight might be the night that you begin a conversation with God that can mark your walk with Jesus for the rest of your life. Talk to God. Tell him all that you have. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I have a tendency in my life to try to pretend like I need to keep things out of far from you. That, Lord, I know you know me, but honestly, the real me feels so dirty and so broken and so sinful that oftentimes I don't go there because I don't want to actually see the real me. 
Lord, the doubts that I've had, the, the faith that I've wanted, the hopes and dreams and, and, and the vision for what the future could look like, the people in my life that I love, all of it, God, from the little things to the big things and everything in between. Father, I pray that you would give us courage tonight to enter into a moment of prayer with you where for the first time in a long time or maybe the first time ever, we begin a conversation with you that can mark our walks with you for the rest of our lives. That we would become a prayerful people that pray, that's, that pray all that's on our hearts tonight. Jesus, we love you. We love that you know and understand the brokenness within us. We pray that you would come in and be the great physician and heal us, Father. Amen.